Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to go back over John chapter 21. Previously, eBible Fellowship has agreed with Mr. Camping's teaching that the 200 cubits that are mentioned in John 21 as they haul in a big catch of fish and are, as it were, 200 cubits from land, we agreed with Mr. Camping that the 200 cubits identified with about 2,000 years from the time of the Lord Jesus Christ's first coming to his second coming. And so we viewed that verse in the same way that Mr. Camping had taught, and also in the same way as a verse in Joshua, verse 4, and I'll turn there in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, and that's referring to the ark that would cross over the river Jordan. About 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Mr. Camping in his studies has also indicated that the ark represented the Lord Jesus crossing Jordan or experiencing the wrath of God as the Jordan River would be the experience of Christ going to the cross in that demonstration. And then the people of God following about 2,000 cubits behind or cubits representing years, about 2,000 years later, the elect come across or cross the Jordan into the promised land, which would be a picture of heaven that the elect would experience at Christ's second coming, and so they follow about 2,000 years later, which the about 2,000 cubits represents. And we had viewed John 21, verse 8, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes in the same way. Looking at the about 200 cubits, as also referring to about 2,000 years, because basically it did have a very similar number, 2 and multiples of 10, where 2,000 just has an additional multiple of 10. But we were incorrect. We were incorrect about what the 200 cubits referred to. And so today, I'd like to go back through John 21 and reach that verse where it mentions 200 cubits and maybe go a little bit further and explain how that fits. Now, this is what we should be doing at this time. We should be reviewing all of the time information, all of our understanding and seeing, is it true? Is it correct? And if not, then we correct it. And so I think this is important for us to do. And this is a result of a question that someone asked on eBible's Sunday Bible question and answer group recently concerning if Judgment Day could be a period of months. Now, I want to mention at the start that this correction concerning the 200 months 
is going to be a correction that will identify with the Great Tribulation period and not our time. In other words, the 200 months or 200 cubits is not going to be something that identifies with the time of May 21 and thereafter, but it will identify with the Great Tribulation. And we should see just further confirmation that the biblical calendar of history that we have understood all of the various timelines is correct. That should be just further additional evidence that we have been on the right track in the timeline for the Great Tribulation and the timeline for Judgment Day. And that's important, too, because when we get to this point and we've had a couple of dates where we thought things would occur and they did not, well, people begin to wonder, what about all the previous dates? And what about the date for the end of the church age and the date for the first 2300 days and the date of the 8400 days of the Great Tribulation? Which brings us to May 21, 2011, the date for Judgment Day. We will see further confirmation that all those dates are in their proper place, and this is just additional information. Well, let's read from John 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth, and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast a net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then, as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, it was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. And I'll stop reading there. And then following this in verse 15 and after, Jesus, after they had dined, asked Simon Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter responds, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. 
And that happens three times. So Jesus, this is the third time he showed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. And three points to the purpose of God. And then a series of three threes. Jesus asks the question, do you love me? Peter responds. Jesus again returns with the command, feed my sheep. So very definitely God is stressing his purpose for the time after the great catch of fish. Well, we're going to look at the earlier verses, and that will help us understand the command a little bit better to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. God's purpose for his people in our day. Well, now, first of all, let's start with verse 3. There's seven disciples, but Peter stands out in verse 3 by saying, or it says there, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. So Simon Peter goes fishing, all the disciples go fishing with him, and notice they went forth and entered into a ship. The Greek word translated as ship is ployon, and it is 4143 in Strong's Concordance. And a ship is often used to typify the church. In Acts 27, when the ship is wrecked at sea, there's a shipwreck. That's a picture of the end of the church age because the ship pictures the corporate church, the New Testament corporate church. And it's the same thing here as they enter into the ship to go a-fishing. Now, we have to remind ourselves that fishing in the Bible is really a figure of the gospel going forth and seeking the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Or this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Well, Jesus is, yes, he's using their occupation to teach them something, but he's also establishing a type and a figure. Fishing points to fishing for men. And the word of God goes forth, as it were, into the sea. And when the word of God comes across one of God's elect, it draws that elect person toward itself or toward God, and thereby catches the fish. It catches the man, the one that God had predestinated to salvation. And they're taken out of the sea, as the sea can represent the wrath of God or hell, and they are then brought to land, And in John 21, when we read of Jesus on the land, well, that'll have a dual meaning. 
First of all, Jesus is not on the ship. When they're going fishing, when the disciples are going fishing and enter into the ship, Jesus is not on that ship. And we also read that it was night. And that's one of the reasons why it is night or that figure is being used to represent the absence of light because Christ is light and Christ is not on the ship. And so when they're going about their fishing expedition, it is dark, it is nighttime, and the Lord Jesus is not with them. He's not in their midst. And again, the ship represents the church. Christ was in the midst of the congregations during the church age, or he was with the ship during the 1955 years when God was evangelizing the world using the churches and congregations. And let's see the difference or the distinction with a previous fishing trip that is recorded in the Gospels in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now there is the picture. Christ is in the ship, teaching the people out of the ship. And that would, again, show God sending forth the gospel through the church, as the ship represents the churches of the world. And there was a time when God used, legitimately used the churches to accomplish that purpose. And it continues, as here Jesus is literally teaching the people from the ship. Well, then there's a figure that God adds to it in verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus saith unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Well, here, Jesus was with them throughout their fishing trip. And another difference is their net broke. Their net broke. In John 21, verse 11, it says at the end of that verse, For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. 
So we have two big differences between Luke 5 and John 21. In Luke 5, Jesus is on the ship and their net breaks. And you would think the net would not break because Christ is there present, but it did break. In John 21, Jesus is not on the ship. And later, the net does not break. And that points to, number one, that John 21 is teaching us of the time when Christ has departed out of the midst of the churches of the world. And that takes place at the end of the church age and the beginning of the Great Tribulation or the judgment on the churches because that's when the daily is taken away and the abomination of desolation set up when Satan enters into the corporate church and takes his seat as the man of sin as God has loosed him to bring about the destruction of the churches of the world. And according to our understanding of the biblical calendar, that took place on May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011, 23 exact years that was the Great Tribulation. But here we find that Peter and the disciples go fishing, fishing for men. That is, they're sending forth the gospel. They're on the ship. And yet they caught nothing that night. They caught nothing. They didn't catch a single fish. They tried. They were fishermen. They were experienced fishermen, and you would think they would catch at least one or two or a handful of fishes, but they did not catch any fish. And they also did not have Christ directing them to catch the fish while they were fishing that night. There was no Christ on board the ship. There was no direction coming forth from him. And there were no catch. No fish were caught. And this identifies with the first part of the Great Tribulation period. The first grievous part of 2300 days, as it says in Daniel chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. Well, let me read verse 11 also, since I just mentioned that. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down, and a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Twenty-three hundred days, the daily is removed, so the Holy Spirit has come out of the midst of the church, The abomination of desolation is set up. It didn't mention there, but it does in other places. And Satan is ruling in the church. And of course, without the Spirit of God, there can be no salvation. You can go fishing all you want. And the churches have been fishing extensively. 
and they continue to fish, yet without the Spirit of God in their midst, without Christ on board the ship, they catch nothing. They catch nothing. This is why we say during that 2300 days, virtually no one became saved on all the earth. And we only say virtually because of what Revelation chapter 8 tells us in verse 1 that also applies to that first part of the Great Tribulation, the 2300 days. In Revelation 8, verse 1, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. The Great Tribulation is likened to a full one hour, but about the space, not even an exact half hour, but about the space of half an hour, there is silence in heaven. There is no joy taking place. There is joy in heaven when one sinner repents but not for about half an hour. Now, the word silence is a word that if you follow by comparing other scriptures, you see it allows for some slight breaking of the silence. And we're not going to get into all that, but just due to God's defining of that word, because that word is used And then it says in one place in Acts, and the Jews kept all the more silent. So that indicates there must have been some murmuring or something, just some slight breaking of the silence. That's why, to be faithful to the word of God, God's people say there was virtually no one being saved anywhere in the world. And without question, none were being saved in the church because the church is typified by that fishing expedition in these early verses of John 21, and they caught nothing. They caught nothing. There was none that were gathered in the net and taken into the ship that night. They were not able to catch a single fish, and that would point to no one being saved. Now, this grievous first part of the Great Tribulation is also mentioned in Matthew 24, where it says, beginning in verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And that's exactly what Jesus has done in John 21. The disciples are embarked on their fishing trip. They're on the ship. They're actively fishing and catch nothing. If Jesus leaves them alone, If Christ does not make himself known, if the Lord does not speak from land so that they can hear him and give them directions on where to fish, then no flesh will be saved. The first part of the Great Tribulation is the night, and if the character of that night continued, If things just went on as they were going on, in other words, then no flesh would be saved. No fish would be caught. 
But God in his mercy and grace does shorten the days. That is, the great tribulation started, judgment began on the house of God, continued for 2300 evening mornings. Then God came and broke the silence. He came and began speaking to his people. Now, God had already opened the scriptures, but now would have been making things known as well as putting into effect his program of evangelization once again. After 2300 days, which began May 21, 1988, and continued until September 7th, 1994, it was a jubilee year. And it was at the time when the jubilee would sound, and the jubilee was a time to set the captives free. The jubilee would sound throughout all the land, and the captives were to be set free. It was a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the second time God would stretch forth his hand to recover the remnant of his people. It was the time, once again, of great salvation. God had already brought in the first fruits, to use another analogy that the Bible uses, and now is the time to bring in the last fruits in the Feast of Ingathering, or to bring in the great catch of fish. It goes on to say here in John 21, and I'll read verse 5 again, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Wow. Very suddenly, very quickly, the Lord Jesus makes his appearance. He speaks to them. Children, do you have meat? They respond, No. And then he just gives a simple direction. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye will find. And they do cast therefore and then are not able to draw the net for the multitude of fishes. And again, what are those fishes representing? Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 14. And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. Men are as the fishes of the sea. They were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes, the multitude of men. So here we have a figure where first they're fishing in a ship and Christ is not with them. Jesus speaks from land. Well, we know that from the entire account. He's not on the ship, but he gives directions from land. They follow the Lord's directions, and immediately a multitude comes in. This is really astounding that they were able to catch a multitude of fish so quickly at the Lord's command. And yet they were. And when we look at the Bible, we have to then find or fit these things into God's overall program. Where was there a time where the gospel was not catching fish or when the gospel was not saving men? 
And then where is there a time when the gospel does save a great multitude of men following a period in which virtually none were being saved? You know, you have to answer those questions. You can't just come up with any kind of definition. Everything has to fit. There's only one time that fits this scenario, and that is the time of the Great Tribulation, which is broken up into two parts by God, as we saw with that verse in Matthew and other scriptures, that there's the first part wherein virtually no one's being saved. It's like the first part of the seven-year famine in the days of Joseph, where are Jacob and the people of Israel, his family? They're in the land of Canaan. They're suffering the famine. But after two years, who makes himself known to Jacob and his brethren, to his father Jacob? Joseph, a type of Christ, reveals himself. Joseph was not in the land of Canaan, just as Christ was not in the ship. As the land of Canaan also points to the corporate church. No, it was outside of Canaan that Joseph was found in the land of Egypt. And it was outside the ship that Jesus was found on the land. He was not on the ship. And then Joseph makes himself known and he gives instructions to his family, doesn't he? That they must leave the land of Canaan because there's a terrible famine that will continue five years more. And so he orchestrates events, he makes arrangements and brings Jacob and his brethren into Egypt to be fed and nourished by him. And that's very similar to what we find here in John 21. Now, we've been talking of that great multitude coming out of great tribulation, so let's read the verse that tells us that in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And then the Lord has the question asked, Who are these? It says in verse 13, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? That is referring back to the great multitude. And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. A great multitude comes out of great tribulation and they're washed. Their robes are made white by the blood of the Lamb. They have become saved. A great multitude became saved. And that's the picture or idea with the net catching a multitude of fishes. Well, it goes on to say here in verse 7 of John 21, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits dragging the net with fishes." 
Okay, so here we find Peter who casts himself into the sea. Is he on the ship any longer? No, no, he's he's not on the ship. Now he's in the water, he's in the sea. Just as in Acts 27, when the ship became shipwreck and the 276 souls that were on board, what did they have to do to to uh, be delivered, to have their lives saved? They had to to swim to land. Let's go over there in Acts 27. It says, verse 37, And we were in all in the ship 200 three score and sixteen souls. And then verse 43, But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. So some swim to land. Others floated on boards or broken pieces of the ship. And here we have Peter and he's swimming. He's a good swimmer. And the other disciples came in a little ship. A little ship. Of course, historically, they had a little boat and that's what they were coming in. But it's the same picture as having a board or a piece of the ship of the shipwreck. Just something that floats that gets you to land. And that's the idea with the little ship, which is a different word than ship that was used earlier in verse 3, which was Strong's 41-43. This word ship in verse 8 is a Greek word ploiapio. And it is 4142 in Strong's Concordance. They're coming not via the corporate church. They're not coming in the church any longer. They've gotten out of the church. And they are going to the Lord. Just as God commanded. Just as God commanded his people. You must flee to the mountains. You must depart out of the midst of Judea. You must leave the churches and congregations. And well, when, when you're, you're on the ship, you're in the sea. And the whole idea of the ship was when fishing to bring God's elect out of the water, which represented the wrath of God and into the safety of the kingdom of God. And the ships had the word of God, so there was safety there during the church age. But now the church age is over. Now the ship is wrecked. It will not bring you to land. It cannot. It has an inability to deliver cargo or passengers to land because it's been destroyed. You cannot stay on the ship. And furthermore, you cannot stay on the ship to carry out fishing expeditions to catch fish. As Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men because Christ is not on the ship. He is not in the midst of the churches any longer. You must go to the Lord where he is 
you have to leave Canaan and go to Egypt because Joseph is in Egypt. You have to leave the ship and go to the land because Christ is on the land is the picture that God is establishing here. Now, as we read these verses, we also saw the other disciples came in a little ship for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits. As it were, could be translated about, should be translated about. About 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And again, we've understood the 200 to identify with the 2,000 cubits of Joshua and to point to 2,000 years. And we've been incorrect about that. The 200 cubits here do not point to 2,000 years. Now, let me just go on before we come back and address the 200 cubits. It says in verse 9, As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all, there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. So the Lord feeds his disciples. The first thing he does, come and dine. He calls them to eat of fish which were laid on the coals of fire. And then he commands, bring of the fish which you have now caught. And we wonder about this, if fish represent men, and here we read fish are laid on coals of fire. Well, you know, how does that relate? How can we understand that? Well, it's interesting that also in the account of the shipwreck in the book of Acts, when they make it to land, which would relate to the disciples and Peter coming out of the water here, coming from the Sea of Tiberias as they did onto the land, that there's a similarity. In Acts 28, when they all, 276, made it safe to land, it says in Acts 28, verse 1, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita, which we know as Malta today, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, They said among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. And here in verse 3, when Paul, who is used as a type of the believers, we can prove that from Timothy, 
that God uses him as a pattern of true believers. And so Paul is representing the elect who have left the church that is shipwreck. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, the word bundle is multitude. He gathers a multitude of sticks and lays them on the fire. Just as Jesus has the fish laid on the fire and says, bring of the fish that you have caught. Bring the multitude of fish. And the idea, of course, is to put them on the fire. That's what's going to happen to the fish. They're going to be eaten. Historically, we know that's the case. And what does that mean? Why are a multitude of sticks placed on the fire by Paul? Why do the elect in John 21 bring a multitude of fish to put on the fire? Because when we become saved, we identify with the death of Christ. Or the death of Christ takes effect. His atoning death from the point of the world's foundation is applied to the one that has become saved. And it's as though our sins are then at the point of salvation in our life placed on the fire of God's wrath. They're washed away by the wrath of God upon Jesus because that now has taken application God has applied Christ's redeeming work to our soul. And so it's as though the fire is cleansing away all sin from the great multitude of all that became saved during the second part of the Great Tribulation. The multitude of sticks and the multitude of fish point to the same truth. Well, we're running a little short on time, but there's another connection Similarity between Acts 27, the shipwreck, and John 21. And it's the number, the number 276 and the number 153 are extra special numbers because if you break down 276, well, first, let's break down 153. If you break down 153, it's 3 times 3 times 17. But you can also break it down this way. If you add up all the integers of the number, or if you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, all the way up to 17, 1 plus 2 plus 3, all the way to plus 17, it equals 153. And it's the same with 276. 276 broken down as 2 times 2, times 3, times 23. And yet, you can also add it up, 1 plus 2 plus 3, all the way, plus 23, equals 276. So they're unusual, and their unusualness relates to 2. And it also happens that there's a relationship with 276, that number, which has the number 23, a very big part of it. That's the special focus when you can go 1 plus 2 plus 3 all the way to plus 23 and come up with a number. Well, then God's putting some extra emphasis upon the number 23. And the number 23 relates to the entirety of the Great Tribulation, as well as the first part, 2300 evening mornings, but also the entirety of the Great Tribulation is 23 full years. 
Well, 23 full years, that 8,400-day period from May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011 would break down, if we were to look at the Gregorian calendar months, that is our modern system, our modern calendar, if we look at the months, and anyone's welcome to do this, you can just map out the number of months, start by taking 1988 and setting it aside, and then go from 1989 to 2010, and you have full years, and so you can just take those number of years times 12, and then look at the months from 1988 and the few months that are left from 2011 up to May 21, and you will come up with 276 months from our calendar. The exact number of men on the ship and that extra special number that identifies with 23. And so that's very interesting, isn't it, how God has done that? And that relates to that person's question. That's how I answered her question when she said, can months be used to calculate time? Of, and she was thinking of our present time. And so that occurred to me. Yes, God used 276 months to lay out the entire Great Tribulation period. Well, then, you know, I thought the first part of the Great Tribulation was 2300 evening mornings. And 2300 evening mornings breaks down to six years and almost four months. And if you, again, would look at the period of time, May 21, 1988, through September 7th, 1994, that works out to be 76 months of the Gregorian calendar. The first part of the Great Tribulation was 76 months in length and duration. And that left about 200 months for the remaining about 17 years from September 94 until May 21, 2011. And again, here's how you can calculate that. From 1995 through 2010, you have full years, 16 full years. So it's 16 times 12, which equals 192. And then go back, and you have September 7th. So you don't have a complete month there, but then you have October, November, December. Almost four months, say three and two-thirds or more. And so take the three. And that would give you plus the 192, 195. And then come to the year 2011, and you have the first four months, full months, January, February, March, April. And that gives you, added to 195, 199. And then you have three weeks in May, May 21, plus the two-thirds you had left over from September in 94, and it goes just a little bit beyond one month. So add that to your 199 and you have about 200 months. Just a few days over 200 months of our modern calendar is the duration of the second part of the Great Tribulation, which we also call the Latter Rain. And what happened during that second part of the Great Tribulation known as the Latter Rain? 
we have already understood that God sent forth his hand to save, recover the remnant of his people, to save a great multitude, and brought them out of great tribulation. In other words, the 200 months, the last 200 months about, can't say exactly because it goes a little bit over, of the latter reign or of the great tribulation period is a time in which the great catch of fish came in. And you see how that confirms, that confirms John 21 verse 8, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And as it were, again, should be translated about. About 200 cubits is referring to about 200 months. Just as the number 276 identified with months in Acts 27, 200 cubits about identifies with the second part of the Great Tribulation. And really, what else could it identify with given the context it's found in and the fact that here are the great catch of fish, here are the 153 fish that breaks down to God's purpose, 3 times 3 times 17, to bring his elect to the safety of his kingdom of heaven. And there is the reference to 200 that matches perfectly with the about 200 months of the latter rain period. Well, we need to make that correction because we always need to make correction But also, it helps us, it strengthens our previous understanding. Oh, okay, the timeline is, you know, I know people want us to find fault and error and make correction that way, according to their desires, but we can only do what the Bible allows. And as we now go back and review this chapter, we see that it strengthens the biblical calendar of history, and our understanding of key events very, very strongly. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.